Hello and welcome to another episode of Pharmacast, the official podcast from the School of Pharmacy at Queen's University Belfast. My name is Dr. Dan Corbett. I'm a senior lecturer in digital education here at the School of Pharmacy at Queen's. And in this episode of the podcast, we're going to focus a little bit on the patient and their role in health and how the School of Pharmacy here and a lot of our very, very important staff who work with our students and also with patients out there in the community can work to put the patient at the forefront and the centre of their own care. So delighted to be joined today uh, by Dr. Joanne Brown, who is a clinical education pharmacist in the Northern Trust, um, and who will work with a lot of our students and with staff here at the school, and also uh, by Dr. Sharon Hawkey, who is a reader in education here at the School of Pharmacy as well. So very welcome to both of you. Good to be here. Thank you very much. Um, what I always like to do with these things is to pass over to you guys, because I can introduce you and get everything entirely completely wrong. Um, so it's better if I normally hand over to you guys, and if you wouldn't mind, a little bit of background about yourselves, a little bit of where your interest has come from from in this patient-centered approach and your roles within the School of Pharmacy. So Joanne, maybe if I start with yourself on that one. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, Yes, so I'm a clinical education pharmacist, but I am just back after two years working on a project called iSympathy. Um, And it was led by the Scottish Government in Scotland, Ireland and in Northern Ireland, and it was focusing on medication reviews with patients, um, patients with complex um, multimorbidities or complex polypharmacy um, so that would be one of my big interests and I would be polypharmacy and um, and how we negotiate and talk to patients um, and deal with inappropriate polypharmacy really um, so yes this was a, a great project between the three countries because we're all very different working in different settings um, and ultimately we were all trying to do the same thing which was focus on the patient um, with the patient at the centre of the thing so um, yeah that would be our interest at the minute Good stuff. Thanks very much. Sharon, yourself? Um, background, I suppose. Initially, I trained as a community pharmacist and I've been involved in the School of Pharmacy as an educator for over 20 years now. Um, and Joanne and I have a long history together <laughs> um, teaching probably our first interest around communication skills, consultation skills, all those years ago. Um, so I've had the privilege of watching that pharmacist role evolve. Um, and now we're seeing, you know, prescribing becoming embedded within the undergraduate M-Farm degree. Um, and that's fantastic to see. So there's great opportunities there for pharmacists to use their skill set. Um, and with that comes the responsibility of now making decisions with patients um, around their medications. So where we would have been advising um, other prescribers, our students at the point of qualification after five years will be independent prescribers. So that brings lots of different things into my head around <laughs> education and how we prepare our lovely students for that role um, it's a, a different part of our identity now that's going to come up and I want to make sure um, using people like Joanne with her experience um, and using patients to really help our, our students develop those skills Excellent. Thank you very much, Sharon. And yeah, I think that that's quite a nice lead in. So we talked about the, the evolution of the role of the pharmacist. I think a lot of what we want to talk about today is the evolution of the role of the patient mm-hmm. in healthcare. Yeah. Around this, I think there's probably, and a lot of people listening kind of will automatically assume that the patient is quite passive in their healthcare sometimes. That there's a lot of telling patients what to do and, and, and things like that. I think the work that you both do basically says that that's not really the case. And getting a patient more involved in, in what they do and how they do it is the way to success when it comes to treatment and, and management of conditions so on that note and I guess for the wider audience listening who might not have the same level of expertise as you both um, when we're talking about 
patient-led care and patient-led management of conditions to start very basically can you tell me a little bit about what what that means what the sort of practicalities are of that and and generally speaking where pharmacists can feed into that as well well we've known for a long time haven't we about the importance of shared decision making you know is it 2011 yeah no decision about me without me and all these kind of um policies that have come after that so nice have had lots of things and shared decision making multimorbidity um, so we know that it's important to involve patients <laughs> I mean if I was a patient I would want to be involved in discussions about my care you know it, I can't believe sort of in the 2023 we're thinking we should involve patients <laughs> more um, but yeah I mean and ultimately in a conversation about a patient's health there are two experts there's the clinician and the patient and we need to be taking on board, you know, always what the patient thinks. Um, certainly in our reviews, we followed um, a seven step model and it had it was basically the way I think as a pharmacist, you know, it's your things you're thinking about. Do we need this medicine? Do we not need this medicine? Are you safe? Are there adverse drug reactions? Mm-hmm. Sustainability is one of the, the points in it as well now. Um, but first and seventh are about the patient. So asking what matters to you. Is the first step. So we could have, a, I would have made a priority list of what I wanted to talk about, <laughs> but that's just a list. You know, it's asking the patient what matters to you. So sometimes it matched. Yeah. So sometimes top of my list was pregabalin. Let's talk about the pregabalin. And the patient might have said, I want off this pregabalin. Brilliant, we're all aligned. <laughs> but I could have had a different list, and the patient's number one priority was maybe they had um, lost their partner nine months ago or maybe they're very anxious being in hospital maybe they're in pain um, maybe they don't want you to touch anything of their medicines you know, there's no way to know what matters to that person um, a lot of people said I just want to get better and go home because they're in hospital which probably would be what I would think and others said things like I'm on too many medicines can you get me off these medicines so it's understanding where the patient is in that journey because you could it's no point you coming up with this great plan and great picture if it doesn't match what the patient actually thinks and what their goals are as well is important um and the last step of the process was you know communication is the patient willing and able to take what you have decided you know so you've talked about the plan can the patient actually work with this plan do they want to take this medicine can you communicate it to primary care so the patient bookends either part of this review which is really good um, so certainly that's sort of the procedure or the policy and and during that process then you're you're educating the patient and you're empowering them it's like you're saying they're moving from being passive to being active you know and how can you fit this in what are their lifestyle things and what advice can you give for that to make them um, more active in that in that journey yeah Sharon what about yourself in terms of thoughts around that the general bits of patient-led care I guess I suppose as pharmacists, we're always good at the evidence-based bit, and that's where our, a lot of our confidence lies. Yeah. Um, because we've got that scientific background that understands, you know, there's research evidence. Um, and that's our comfort spot, and we can talk to patients about that. So, but it's when you're involving the patient, you're bringing in that research evidence, you're bringing in their circumstances and then their values and their opinions. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the clinical expertise sits there in within that as well. So you're pulling it all together um, and you're giving that patient a voice. Um, and certainly any um, sort of teaching that we have put together over the last number of years where we've involved patients have helped students to really understand why patients whenever you know 
you get that big bag of medicines coming back to you in community pharmacy mm. and everything has been supplied nicely by your community pharmacy according to the <coughs> prescription but maybe only 30 percent of it has obviously been taken um and students find that very strange why <laughs> if we have said this is the best thing for you have you not taken it and that's where we bring in because you have to think about the patient and their circumstances um i take one multivitamin a day that's all i take and i struggle to take that every day so if you put me on 11 medicines i am not going to be able to take all of those i can guarantee that i'm not going to be 100 percent perfect on that so it's it's helping pharmacists and our, our trainees understand that that forms a huge part of it and if you can involve patients in their care Alf Collins and Angela Coulter talked about it in that no decision about me without me more than 10 years ago now if you there's compelling evidence that if patients are actively involved in their own health care they have much better outcomes so I can sell that to students and um, that I can sell that to anybody, um, <laughs> but we need to be able then to involve, certainly from a curriculum point of view, we need to be able to involve patients in um, meeting our students, designing our curriculums, and also then, um, you know, importantly, our students will meet them out there in more placements. So that's a great opportunity within the M farm. Absolutely. Um, well, I think we'll talk a little bit about that later on in terms of how that's been happening within the M farm program yep. and, and what the plans are as both of you and, and the rest of the team here at the school working that a little bit further. I guess what I wanted to maybe focus on, um, because this, and Joanne, you'd mentioned this earlier on, it's 2023, we're talking about putting patients at the centre of their care. There's that shared decision making or that pharmacists, patients, other healthcare professionals are involved in. There's a real team effort kind of around the patient. There's that, that sort of huddle around them. There's a probably a little bit of a shift in terms of skill set that you need to have. And, and Sharon, your point earlier is really rings true with me in that, you know, you used to wonder how patients could forget to take their medicines. <laughs> and then I soon realised after I had to start taking medicines and I forgot them all the time. Yeah. And you yeah. Know, I was like, I thought, I'd, you know, this was going to be something that wouldn't happen to me. So it's, you know, communication you've mentioned earlier on, Joanne. I mean, are there other... Are there other skills maybe outside of those that we would expect the pharmacist to have around the knowledge and the expertise in medicines that are really important when it comes to this shared decision making and putting the patient at the centre of all of this? Um, I think as Sharon said, we are evidence based. You know, we like saying nice says this, so we mm. must do this or, you know, science <laughs> says this, so we must do that. Um, and I think a lot of that is changing, though. I think a lot of guidance is now coming out um, much more about, OK, well, think about your patient. So, OK, nice says this, but what does that look like in your patient? Yeah. You know, your patient who's frail, your patient who's poor renal function. So um, I think a lot of the guidance and things we're having that's changing. I think communication is the biggest one um, and how we adapt and develop our communication skills. You know, and it's this listening, <laughs> it's communicating with the different sectors um, with your colleagues um, Ultimately, it's making the, the conversations patient-led rather than pharmacist-led. So if I had a list of things I would like to talk about, I don't go to the patient and say, I would like to talk to you about stopping your quinning. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's pharmacist-led. So it's very much talking to the patient about, do they know what the quinning's for? You know, how did they feel before they started it? Is it working? Are they getting perceived benefits? So it is that mind shift to just framing the conversation differently, I think. Um, um, but yes, and it's having honest conversations. You talked earlier about um, sort of um, managing risk and how you talk about risk with patients as well. Being honest, you know, have an honest conversation with patients and very much coming back to 
that particular patient you have in front of you. So it's not the global picture. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, we need that. But right now, this person in front of you, you know, what does that mean? And so it's getting it back to that, I think. And I'm thinking of the patient holistically. Um, And we ask quite a lot of patients in the management of their health. You know, we think that we just write a prescription, so there's one wee thing. But actually now the patient's managing 10 medicines, <laughs> three appointments with different specialties, GP for bloods. You know, there's so much we're asking patients to manage in their health. Um, and it's trying to get that all um, streamlined, I think, for them. Sharon, what about yourself, maybe from the, the sort of student pharmacist perspective in terms of skills that students are maybe starting the course with but we maybe need to focus on their development off a little bit as they kind of come through and start to move out into practice yeah i, th- I think those coming on to an m farm are acutely aware that they need good communication skills because that's something we talk about that you know every profession needs good communication skills um but what i think i've learned through shared decision making and and what i'm seeing with people who do it really well is the ability to um negotiate a little bit and that's a that's a you've mentioned this Joanne but it is a skill mm-hmm. um, and the ability to compromise and to do that and still feel safe doing it with the patient so that is something that comes with practice and experience those are two words that students hate to hear <laughs> um, because they want something that maybe they can learn and I'm the same I want to be able to learn it and just be able to do it but it's like everything it's like driving a car you have to practice um, and you have to have times when it doesn't go particularly well maybe with it and somebody else and we've all had those experiences yeah absolutely um, and we should be willing to share them as well that's really important and mm. um, when it didn't go so well with a patient and they've you know walked off very cross mm. maybe um, it, it sharing that experience with uh, you know other people um, and particularly making a point of doing that with um, with trainees where you know this happened I said it this way and now I've realised that didn't go down too well how could I change that um, and that's what I've learnt from working with patients um, who come into our classroom the different way that you can say things language is so important mm. how we present ourselves all of those nuances are so important um, yet we tend to put all the weight into what we say and you know what the, the facts are but actually how you say it um, and how you ask a question is so much more important so I think there's no SOP for this. Um, it's going to be, there's no standard Sadly. operating procedure. It's going to be, let's have a go at it and, um, you know, do it in, you know, whether it's a simulated way at, the, at first. Um, but certainly once students are out in practice, giving the opportunity for them to talk to patients and, and practice those conversations. Um, and for when it, and it when it doesn't go well, they're supported in that. Yeah. So, you know, that's part of Joanne's role now as a, a clinical education pharmacist she will be uh, her and her colleagues out in hospital will be supporting our students yeah. through that so and i think other important things actually on that as well are rapport building up rapport mm. and you don't have to have lots of time to do that yeah you know absolutely. it can happen in the first 30 seconds how are you you know it's a good way to start rapport and trust you know if you said to the patient you're going to do something do it yeah. explain or if you can't explain to them why you can't or you know it's having that if you can't sustain the trust and rapport, I think, you know, it's, it's harder to achieve, isn't it? Yeah. So um, there's a couple of things that have come up there and I'll maybe kind of take both of them in turn. And one of them is maybe a little bit more tangential and it, it actually refers back to a, a conversation I had on, on the podcast with, with Professor Carmel Hughes and Dr. Heather Barry around polypharmacy as well. Mm-hmm. And it was something we mentioned earlier on, Joanne, too. 
in the examples that you'd use when you were talking about how you'd interact with patients and, and how you reframe those conversations so that they're more patient focused could you maybe talk a little bit about polypharmacy the amount of medicines that patients are on does that make patient-centered care a lot more challenging or does it does it maybe help if you maybe are trying to take patients off medications what, what's the sort of angle on that as far as um, concerned? polypharmacy is definitely challenging i mean there's appropriate polypharmacy <laughs> so if you go into hospital and you're diagnosed with heart failure and diabetes you're going to be on lots of medicines yeah. you know and those are all appropriate so it's when it becomes inappropriate that's problematic but usually those are quite easy to see you know you can chat to the patient about the medicines that aren't working yeah <laughs> the medicines they can't remember what they're taking them for the medicines that are giving them side effects the medicines they're not adhering to so you've actually got quite a few things yeah that you can focus on already um i would always have checked uh, written down the dates when drugs were started okay. and that's when you can see the prescribing cascades as well so amlodipine started and three months later furosemide started okay well now we've got <laughs> Adverse drug reactions okay. happening and we're over prescribing. Um, so sometimes there are really clear times when you can see things are inappropriate. Um, and usually when you start having that conversation with the patient, they know it's inappropriate too. Mm-hmm. You know, they know, well, I don't remember what that one was for. Um, that one was started for sleep, but I actually it has made no difference. Okay. Those, so those are the easy things to target. Yeah. Um, and there's a new term, hyper polypharmacy, <laughs> seems to have come in now, when you're on 10 or more medicines. Okay. Um, and, you know, we, we were seeing patients on maybe 25 medicines. And sometimes all 25 were appropriate. You know, right. if they had lots yeah, of comorbidities yeah, yeah. with health now, we're living longer mm. and living healthier, but with more comorbidities. Um, so maybe all 25 of those were appropriate, but you still can have the conversation around adherence and how they're taking them and um, lifestyle and all these kind of things. But usually the inappropriate polypharmacy stood out for you. Um, and just by chatting to the patient, they can identify things as yeah, well. They yeah. don't need to take. So. Uh, and how, you know, from even from my experience as, as a pharmacist and where you would identify a little bit of polypharmacy and almost where at least the classic one for me would have been where a patient was taking a medication to treat the side effects of another medication yeah. that they were taking mm-hmm. um, and it actually ended up in a few cases being the case that the initial medication the patient was taking they didn't need to take anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you find that that some patients are a little bit reticent to stop medications even if they may not get any benefit from them and, and if you do how, how do you really handle that in terms of empowering a patient because what happens if we have a patient who wants to keep taking a certain medication you will have patients I mean I learned in some of our training for eye sympathy um, one of the doctors mentioned about the desert island drug (laughs) which drug if I would say to a patient which drug will you take to the desert island (laughs) oh well I need metamazepam I say well maybe we'll talk about your pixaban that might be (laughs) the more important (laughs) one Um, so um well, I, I carried out reviews for about 850 patients, and I only had maybe two or three who said, don't touch my medicines. Okay. Um, everybody else was really willing to have a discussion about them. Maybe they didn't want to stop medicines because, and you also have to, so that's okay. That's their, their medicines, yeah. their, but that's okay. Um, and as a pharmacist, it's sort of letting that go. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it's their life, you know, and maybe that medicine has given them help and re- they remember what it was like before they took that medicine so that's okay um, I think whenever we talked earlier about risk and talking about um, the harm sometimes mm-hmm. with medicines um, and it's about 
building up rapport and how you have that conversation with the patient um, and really letting the patient come around to telling you. So, for example, if you see somebody on amitriptyline and you can't really see an indication for it, mm. uh, but then you also see that they're on something for constipation and they're on something for dry eyes. We know that's all coming from the amitriptyline. Yeah. Um, so usually I would have started the conversation around, tell me, do you ever get constipated? Do you ever have dry eyes? You know, um, I think these could be coming from this medicine. And it's sort of, it's, you're giving them that information yeah. and letting them sort of have the discussion with you. Um, but I find most people were really happy to talk about their medicines. I think we need to be careful sometimes in the terminology we use. Sure. So we used to talk a lot about starting medicines for life. Oh, you're on this for life. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, whenever you're 95 and your HbA1c is... <coughs> 65 we don't need them anti-diabetics mm. maybe so it's it's around the terminology we use i think as well um and being careful with that yeah so there's, there's probably a little bit of sort of a public education aspect of this as well i'm kind of yeah empowering people to understand the information that you're giving them and, and allowing them to make some decisions on and, it. I, and i think about health literacy comes in there as well because um I think it's about, all the studies say it's about 50% of patients don't have the correct or sufficient health literacy skills to understand everything we're asking yeah. them to yeah. understand. Um, and you need the functional health literacy, so you need to be able to read. And, and, you know, how many times have we worked in pharmacy where you've asked your colleague to double check something you have counted or calculated? <laughs> patients don't have that yeah, at home. Absolutely, yeah. um, and, you know, I had a patient who's my age and can't read. <laughs> so, you know, that's the first step. And then it's thinking about, interactive health literacy so how do you interact with that information yeah you know you've opened up a box and you take the pill out <laughs> and i mean us as pharmacists we look at it and go wow that i'm gonna put that away you yeah. know how do you yeah. expect really a patient to read that and then it's thinking about how patients can critique that information so how do they apply it to their own life um, and you would have seen that quite a lot around you know, things like covid vaccines you know where were patients getting their information yeah. how could they critique it to make you know um decisions right for them um so i think health literacy is definitely something you know we can empower patients with as well yeah and that point's actually a good one it maybe is a further question i mean there is a wealth of information out there available to patients now um which is a great thing but mm -hmm. also could be quite a bad thing um do you find or have you noticed that there has been a an uptick in patients coming to you and saying well this particular website said this about this medication um and how do you really handle that if a patient's kind of read something they've done their research um which is the term you hear quite a lot how does how does a healthcare professional really handle that with the patient i think well whenever i was doing my reviews i had two folders i carried about <laughs> one with forms i needed and things i couldn't remember but i needed resources mm -hmm. and the other folder was things for patients okay. so patient information leaflets um information on services in their area lots of different bits of information so i would counter that with well where did you get where's that information come from okay well let me get you so you know i have sometimes gone away and printed off yeah. something from the government or nice or something like that and um, certainly f maybe friends were asking for diagnosis on facebook yeah. <laughs> or i just put this on twitter and i read this the other day so that that is difficult yeah um, and it's trying to give them good and um, professional resources um, and to signpost them to those um, and sometimes I would have been asking patients things like um, you know how do you sleep at night oh I can't sleep will you give me a wee sleeping tablet no I won't but here's a really good leaflet let's <laughs> chat through this <laughs> leaflet on sleep hygiene so I would have kept my own wealth of kind of resources but it's having that knowledge of where you can signpost people to 
you know, that's that's accurate and as good information. Yeah. And we can probably expect to see things getting a little bit different now with with more AI tools coming on mm. board and patients typing their symptoms into these and getting some stuff back. And yeah, we're already finding that there's some issues in terms of the the um, the precision and the accuracy of the information that comes back as well. That's so a whole new challenge awaits out there. <laughs> That's a whole new challenge for patients, isn't it? To um try and decipher that you know yeah and i think that you know the you know from what you hear from speaking to even friends and family there is an assumption that this is correct um and it's you know going back to what you were saying sharon in terms of pharmacists being evidence-based and if we do speak to a patient and say well you should do this here's the reference that told us that and there's all the evidence behind that as well it's just very easy to type something into a website get the information back and assume that it's correct because why would anybody fabricate that or make it up so you just assume that it's correct but and it could be a great resource yeah. it could be an excellent it thing be. but it's it's making sure that yeah. that's accurate and and it's, good. it's that step of, of knowing where the sources are and, and knowing how that works too yeah so what i wanted to focus a little bit on so it's good to know what we should be doing out there um and what pharmacists should be doing with patients and what patients should be doing with pharmacists and other healthcare professionals as well i, I wanted to talk to both of you because i know that this is where a lot of your expertise lies in how we train student pharmacists and, and trainee pharmacists into being able to do this and kind of maybe move a little bit more away from the traditional role of pharmacists of your in terms of how we do this so um sharon maybe start with you in terms of the the undergraduate degree um and i know that you could talk about this for days on the podcast oh indeed but, yeah um, only so much time <laughs> but do you maybe want to give us a little bit of an overview maybe some examples of how you are working with students in the undergraduate degree to make them think about patient-centered care i think we have a good history within the school of bringing patients certainly into mm -hmm. our classroom from first year onwards and we've continued to build on that um you know joanne and i um we had a workshop that Joanne set up with patients, co-designed with patients all those years ago. Um, where we, we have built on all of that experience and seen the richness of bringing those patients into workshops. Yeah. I want to see them meeting them in our classrooms and also out in practice. And I think that's a nice, they complement each other. Um, and just having those normal conversations with patients um uh, with anybody um coming into the classroom who can uh, who they can you know talk through a, a particular treatment with um so that starts in first year and really builds um certainly through the clinical modules where we have patients coming in with type 1 type 2 diabetes and just talking through the challenges of dealing with all of those yeah. uh, the aspects of their disease and how they have become empowered by being able to do things mm. with their their own condition make decisions day to day and um, through the technology that we now have with diabetes etc so you know you it, it just helps it's it's like everything i'm going to reflect back on one of a uh, joanne smiling here across the room um because one of the most profound and i've reviewed lots of lectures over the years for colleagues and peer reviewed lots of lectures but one of the ones that sticks in my mind is one that joanne gave many years ago and she told me today that she actually found the peer review somewhere um i hope my handwriting has improved since then um but Joanne was um, in one of our clinical modules and the lecture series was on um, inflammatory bowel disease and Crohn's disease and um, she created um, something which I had never seen before which was our lecture theatre was silent 
and you could have heard a pin drop and I was right at the back and nobody was on their phone nobody was talking they were completely focused on Joanne because Joanne talked about her father who had irritable who had inflammatory bowel disease and he had it at a time when she was their age <laughs> so you were a student and you talked so eloquently and she could have come in and just talked about pathophysiology and yeah. treatments and nice guidelines but she came in straight away with her story around her experience and it had such a profound effect on those students it had a profound effect on me and i knew about <laughs> it um so you know i i i know about the disease and, and what it can do um and the treatments that are out there but it was hearing that personal story that had such an impact and i remember thinking our students need to hear those stories from the patients themselves or by people who have loved them or cared for them or whatever it might be and i it just that's when i realized that was when the light bulb went on yeah. that it, it, it adds such a richness that you can't you can't you can't do it any other way nearly yeah the patient voice is so so strong isn't it you know it's it's so important to hear it so yeah that has been built on and you know we have um modules where um patients come in and and talk and give us everything um and tell us everything and it is it's actually it's joy to see students respond to that um and it sort of reminds us about why we came into this profession and what we wanted to be able to do with patients Um, and certainly whenever they tell you how their pharmacist made a difference you know that reminds us all that we can simple two-minute conversations can make the difference Um, and bringing our expertise and just listening and having that conversation is so so important um so we we will absolutely maintain that in terms of you know we have a stakeholders group um within the school we've done you've worked with me on a um an intersim uh, simulation that we did around a, a patient with sepsis and that scenario that first draft we sat down with somebody who had um a son with who'd been in and out of hospital with sepsis on a few occasions mm-hmm. and desperately ill and she was able to really help us design that um, so that co-design aspect is so important to bring authenticity to what we do at a simulated yeah. level um, and and make that patient voice really strong because otherwise it turns out to be about us yeah. especially at an interprofessional level we then all start talking about our own agendas so there's lots of agendas yeah. in the room and we have to remind ourselves that the shared agenda comes back down to that patient um, so again that impact is real and, and you can you can take it forward yeah I think when we were chatting earlier on before we, we hit the, the big red record button you used the term patients as teachers earlier on which I thought was a really nice way to summarize it um i I thought that was a a nice sort of tagline to say that this is how this all works i guess out of interest more than anything and as you've been working with patients to set these things up and make things a lot more sort of true to life and true to their lives which kind of highlights the individuality of it has there been anything really surprising that's come up that's even surprised you guys as you've been putting this stuff together that you might not necessarily have thought of all the time (laughs) (laughs) yeah the yeah, patients tell you things and their advocates and their carers and parents and you think oh that seems so obvious mm. um just having a simple conversation around the the terms that we use and this yeah. this is probably a more a, a personal one but it, you know where somebody uh, 
belonging to me had a cancer diagnosis and that and everything was treatable and you know there's going yeah. to be operations there's going to be treatment um, and it wasn't explained that they'd been referred to the palliative care team for pain control okay so they got a letter from the palliative care team with an appointment didn't understand what that term meant yeah and googled it so i made a decision and that again conversations about what we're doing next yeah very simple conversations about what that means and it has taught me to never assume that people understand what yeah absolutely about. yeah never assume with patients you know the, the the language that we use a lot of the time that is natural to us mm -hmm. may not be understood so very of yeah even simple things you think oh right i get it now um and it tends to be a lot around the language that we use um or things that we are used to doing every single day and we're used to so we never so when you're challenged on it by a patient yeah of well i don't want this because it's got x in it mm -hmm. i think well everybody gets it nobody else complains about it <laughs> but there's a reason why they don't want yeah, that. yeah so you know yeah every time i sit down with a patient um i learn something yeah yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think I've probably told you this one before, Sharon. There was a patient back in the day when I was out there in community pharmacy, and it, it really kind of ties in with that two minute conversation, putting yourself in their shoes to understand exactly what, what's going on with them and, and using different terminology. A patient who had been receiving effervescent cocodamol tablets for a while. Yeah. Um, I oh, I remember this story. To be in a situation where I could say, well, how, how are things going? You know, how are you feeling now that you're taking these? You know, no difference weren't wasn't feeling particularly great Put lots of pain still there things not being managed so you know you take the time to understand what's going on it, it transpired that the patient was putting those into the bath and not putting them to a glass of water and drinking them um and it's one of those things where you tell that story the, 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 the patients and the students alike to kind of put the point across where it can go very badly wrong in a very very simple way and there's a little bit of humor to it but there's also a no one told him otherwise yeah you can't assume that people have the same level of knowledge that you have someone maybe said look put that into water four times a day you why would you assume that you would put something like this you, you might have it as a soak you might do something like that so it's that clarity of language it's it's all yeah. making sure the patients understand yeah what you've told them so that they can be empowered to go and do the right yeah. thing as well so important yeah yeah and we all work in this system we know yeah. how the system works yeah. if you put us into france or america yeah. in a hospital <laughs> as yeah. a patient we would not have a clue exactly you know? yeah. um my mum got a letter to go for a procedure and i had a list of all the drugs you need to let us know about mm -hmm. you know before so apixabans uh, and all these things and mum said is this all just different language? Is this all just, you know, lots of different languages? Mm. And I went, no, mum, this is just the list of drugs. You yeah. know, and we're expecting a lot, aren't yeah. we? You know, because yeah. it is, yeah. it's really difficult. I compare myself, so my my area of where I feel scared is around some levels of technology. Yeah. So that's, that's my area of discomfort. And my daughter, it's her area of comfort. <laughs> and when she speaks to me about things that she wants for a computer, it's, I have no idea what she's talking about. And that's, I remind myself that that might be how somebody else feels walking into a pharmacy or on in a in a hospital bed being told X, Y and Z before they're discharged. A lot of it is the same, you know, it's CPUs and all these things. I don't <laughs> know what are. are they dangerous? Do I need to worry? Um, it, it, that's, that's how I try and remind myself that I need to think about what I'm saying 
And ask. Just yeah, ask. Just ask. You know and the thing is? I find is patients want to be involved. Yeah. Patients want mm. to be involved in yeah. their own discussions and wider discussions as well. Um, we were reading on the, the Northern Ireland response to the, the World Health Organization. So one of their, their third global challenge is around reducing severe adverse harm from medicines globally by 50%. Right. So as a country, we have a response to that. Um, and one of the facts from it was that about 50% of patients felt involved in decisions about their medicines. And I sort of thought, well, that's not good, <laughs> you know, as pharmacists. But yeah, the other 50% you know, don't. Yeah we're, yeah, we're going wrong there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. we're losing half the audience yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and to go back to that, that sort of education and training piece, Joanne, um, you're seeing student pharmacists and trainee pharmacists in a maybe a, a slightly different sort of context and, and they're out there with patients who are currently receiving that treatment and potentially for the first time. Can you talk us through a little bit about the support that you provide to, to those trainee pharmacists and student pharmacists um, and, and how, you know, the, the development that they have in terms of shaping those skills and, and doing that patient-centred care as well? I think it actually varies quite a lot with what Sharon said about what's happening in the degree itself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really, I suppose, using those skills in practice. Yeah. So, you know, the things they're learning in university and then they're coming out to us in hospital, but also will be out in community mm-hmm. uh, primary care as well. Um, so to using those skills and very much the patients are there, you know, come, let's go talk to this patient about their medication history, their discharge, this new medicine we've started. Yeah. Let's just go and say hello. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's just been observant. I would like them to be observant. So, you know, how I pick patients sometimes, we did have criteria, but actually the first thing I did was look around the ward and see who looked sickest. You know, yeah. Who, yeah. Who, who was small and frail. Okay, that leads me to think other things. Who's sickest? Who needs me the most? You know, that visual yeah. thing. And sometimes if maybe they can't speak to a patient for some reason, for example, severe dementia, or they're really unwell. Okay, well, let's still go look at them. Let's see what they look like. You know, are they working hard to breathe? You know, what's what are they hooked up to? So I think it's those things about observational. I think it's being comfortable talking to patients and yeah. introducing themselves and just getting into the way of not having tasks that they need to complete. Yes, they do. But how do you put it into a conversation? How do you make things conversational rather than just being a task driven thing? Um, and also about reflecting on it, like as you said, Sharon, about you, le- you learn something from every patient you speak to. Yeah. <laughs> and it could be something good, it could be something bad. Or But you're always, as a pharmacist, I think, reflecting on that. And it's, it's lending the students your experience. Sure. So, you know, um, I had a pre-reg um, a few months ago and I was sort of going through what I was prescribing and why and why I wasn't prescribing something else. And, oh, oh, I forgot this yesterday. We'll, we'll tackle that today. And do you know why I forgot that? Because I was so focused on this. Mm-hmm. And, and going through that. And, and also thinking about when I get to the, the scope of my, or the, the, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Boundary. <laughs> boundary, boundary. The boundary of my, the limitations to my prescribing, when I need to refer, when I need to pass that on. When, when am I not going to prescribe? When am I going to yeah. de-prescribe? So sort of you're lending them your experience, really. Um, because they haven't built it up yet themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I think that comes back to Sharon your point much earlier on, which is it's one of those things that students love and hate to hear, which is you have to build that experience up and it's something you have to practice, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's 
and you can't sometimes I would hear students say well I've done that before I know how to do it and I was like yeah but that, you did that with an easy patient let me give you a really <laughs> hard one um, so it, it, it's trying to sort of um, encourage our students to keep going and keep challenging themselves um, and certainly with the hospital placements which we've had for so many years and developed so much um, within the school thanks to Joanne and you know the team that she works with um, those students have that opportunity um, a number of years ago um, you know we really started to think about how we give students feedback on the wards and that you know your team have developed great tools to help with that um, and two years ago we matched up second and fourth year students going out at the same time um, and that showed me something about a fourth year helping a second year mm. um, in a medication history so the second year has a go at it for the first time fourth year's been doing it whilst out on placement but they have a tool that's been developed by the team to you know they listen to it all and then they give them feedback very constructive feedback um, but the the joy of that connection um, where the second year feels a bit, little bit safer with that fourth year <laughs> um, because the you know that congruence is there in yeah. terms of age and experience um, so we, just those opportunities of having students out on placement at the same time giving that fourth year student the opportunity to work with somebody else's learning and to me that's pure joy because that prepares the whole workforce yeah. for what's yeah, coming true. next you know we can all we're all educators yeah um doesn't matter where you're working you will always have somebody who's day one beside you or coming to be with <laughs> you at some stage and having that skill set to support them is magical and you know with you know when you're dealing with patients just to pass on that experience so it's golden stuff from joanne and her team but also opportunities from their their fourth year peers as well um so yeah every day is a school day yeah. <laughs> that, that shared experience being a, a proxy for their own experience and providing a little bit of a, a buffer as if they build up their own opportunities to do this stuff is really important i guess right that's what's coming through um I, I guess as we're kind of moving towards the end of the conversation one thing i wanted to ask of both of you particularly as the m form program is changing now with with um, students qualifying as prescribers once they've done their foundation training year how do you both see and it could be a very simple answer right but how do you both see patient-centered care as a an approach changing say in the next decade you know what do you think the, the, the landscape might be like in 10 years time from now where pharmacists are going out it's commonplace for them to be in a position to prescribe and to look after patients in a bit more of an in-depth way how do you see that linking in maybe with patient-centered care how do you see patient-centered care maybe being taken to the next level are there any any sort of blue sky thoughts that you've had on that we need to have patient-centered care. I mean, mm. <laughs> has to be there. Yeah. Has to be there. More than fifty percent, uh, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it has to. Um, so it just has to be there. Um, but I think, as, as as you say, if you're coming through the university system, and then that's going to be supported in pre-reg, and that's supported in foundation program. Yeah. Um, you know, it is. Um, and pharmacists are giving really good patient-centered care. Um, so it definitely has to be patient-centered care. And thinking about patient goals mm-hmm. as well. You know, you know what are their 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 long term goals I suppose that or short term goals, um so thinking about um just really patient centred care is embedded I mean that's just yeah, it comes first, I I think over the next ten years 
we've we have pharmacist prescribers out there yeah, and have absolutely. had yeah. um since you know that became legislation all those years ago and the big change is that everybody will be prescribed mm. you know will be have that qualification at the point of registration so there's there's some unknowns with that so we're <laughs> this is new territory that we're yeah. in and i think it's okay to acknowledge that and say okay that you know there's there's change afoot and and we have to be able to support people through that change and that's all of our teams we have to be able to support um and to acknowledge that it's not maybe going to be perfection from the very beginning that's something that we have to acknowledge and accept as well um but i think that we can certainly have the foundations in place to give people the confidence to mm. go out there. Um, what that will look like, who knows, in terms of the services that we have. Um, but I am an optimist and always have been, and I believe that you know, with the right support, people can do great things around that patient-centered care. And patients will recognize us yeah, yeah, with yeah. that expertise, we're a small profession. We're the, you know, probably one of the smallest. If you look at the healthcare team compared to, um, you know, doctors and nurses, sure. numbers, and that's always been the way, and it always will be, and that's that's fine. Um, and sometimes we get lost in it, mm. but I think that once people start to kick into those prescribing roles, we will make a difference to patients. The evidence will gather even beyond what we have now. We know pharmacists are very safe prescribers. We're one of the most conservative professions <laughs> that there are. Um, you know, we we are safety sort of runs through us and everything that we do. So we, you know, I have no fears around that. I've no, you know, that doesn't keep me awake at night. Um, but I I want to see people supported in their prescribing journey so that they can keep going and keep learning. Um, and keep that patient at the centre of their care. So th there's certainly the opportunity there for it. And we just need to make sure people are supported through that qualification and through the experience yeah. in their early years. Absolutely. So yeah, I think the future is, is bright for this. I think the, the role that pharmacists play in enabling patients to look after their own care and to kind of make the most out of it is, is yeah, is very bright. There's a lot of... Um, yeah a lot of potential for pharmacists to yeah. a lot more than what they're doing already which is already quite a substantial thing in terms of looking after patients particularly in primary care and secondary as well so i guess just to round everything up um for a second if i could ask both of you just to imagine that you're sitting with a pharmacist who's here and saying i would like to make my practice more patient-centered <laughs> as of this <laughs> afternoon right? um, if you could both give that pharmacist one piece of advice on how to do that what would that advice be? Joanne, maybe I'll start with you. Just ask the patient what matters to you. Yeah. What's important to you? Simple, sweet. Simple. Like it. <laughs> and listen to the response. Because that doesn't always happen. And I'm probably saying that because I've come through rounds of assessments where um, very stressed students say mm. things that mm. you, you mm. didn't expect them to say. And sometimes you forget to listen. Yeah. Um, so the meaningful question, listen and act on the other side. I always say to students, imagine that was somebody that belonged to you, who you yeah. were prescribing for or treating. So that's your mother, your father, your granny, your sister. And when you do that, when you put them into that position, um, as long as you get on with all those people, you'll make the right decision. <laughs> You will make the right decision. Yeah, you will make the right yeah, decision. So if you centered around that, it helps. Good stuff. Very sage advice from both of you. Thank you very much. So look, I think it's been a great conversation. It's really interesting to, to learn a bit more about that and, and how 
you both are helping our students and pharmacists that are out there to, to do this an awful lot better. Um, as I think we've, we've all said, yeah, it's going to be exciting to see how things become even more patient-centred as time goes on. So um, just want to take this opportunity to say thanks very much again to uh, Dr. Joanne Brown, um, who's a clinical education pharmacist in the Northern Trust, and to our very own Dr. Sharon Hawkey, uh, a reader in education here at the school. So thank you both again for your insight and for having a chat with me today on the podcast. Um, I'll say thanks very much to everybody listening, and we will uh, hopefully chat to you again on the podcast very soon. So thanks very much for now.